For most of the church's history, after the emperor Constantine nationalized the church, less than 300 years after it was born, we've been stuck in Luke chapter 9 with Jesus and the 12, the qualified leaders. And uh, after Constantine, very quickly, a, a culture in church grew up that lasted about a thousand years that sharply separated the kind of the professional, clergy, expert, serious people about following Jesus on the one hand from everybody else on the other hand. And if you were serious about following Jesus, you had to either be ordained or join one of the monastic houses, either the ones like the Benedictines that kind of centred on a particular community or the more dispersed ones, like the Franciscans. But either way, you had to embrace a life of celibacy and take vows of poverty, chastity, obedience. And you, you had to fit in that mould. And if you did that, you were one of the leaders of the mission of God. And if not, well, you didn't really count, unless, of course, you were rich and an aristocrat and had um, money to found a new church or a new monastery, in which case... You were very important. And then, after about a thousand years, there was the Reformation and a big change. The celibate part and the vows disappeared, except for the Catholics. And the Reformers tried to create a sense of the whole body of Christ together. But it quickly became ordained and trained ministers who did the stuff and everybody else who didn't. But the Holy Spirit was on the job and shaking the church like a blanket. So new denominations appeared, first, you know, like the Baptists, later on like the Methodists, to kind of like shaking a blanket, to shake the church out of, you've got the qualified, the expert, the professional the authorised, the ones who have permission on the one hand and then everybody else on the other hand. But in practice, after 1,500 years of always doing it in one way, the church has found it so difficult to break out of that. Our muscle memory is now so strong to doing it like that. We found it almost impossible to break out of it. And the Holy Spirit's been on the case. At the beginning of the last century, the game was raised. There was the Pentecostal revival among people who were not professional, trained, qualified, or given permission. And then there was the charismatic renewal. But just the same, we so quickly snap to grid. Our muscle memory is so strong. We, so quickly we snap back to seeing the people who are kind of set apart to serve the body of the church as kind of the expert, the special, the qualified, the professional who do the stuff. And everybody else who, in the nicest possible way, is more in audience mode. 
But that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. The experts are sitting right here in front of me. You are the experts. You are the authorised ones. You have the permission of Jesus right in your hands right now. Even the 12 had no theological credentials. You know, none of them were rabbis. I mean, you can, their questions, some of their dumb questions that they asked Jesus kind of show us the depth of theological ignorance of some of them, you know. And the 72, even less so. They weren't rabbis. But the 12 would come with Jesus when he asked them. They'd leave everything and come and be with Jesus. And the 72 would go when Jesus told them to. You know, they'd take time off work. They'd just go when Jesus told them to. Availability and willingness seem to be a lot more important to God than gifts or qualifications. And Jesus was very straight with them. Don't take resources, you know, don't take the spare sandal staff or whatever. You don't need resources and you're not going to feel like a superhero. You're going to feel like a sheep among wolves. You will not feel like a superhero at all. You'll feel like a sheep among the wolves. Now, superheroes have superpowers. That's why they're superheroes. We have the powers of the age to come, but it's probably truer to say that the powers of the age to come have us. And every time we, we come to pray for someone, every time we come with the powers of the age to come, we, we lay ourselves on the line, we take a risk, because it's not like something that we own. You know, we don't find that spark of power inside ourselves and kind of draw it out of our being and, you know, do a kind of shazam, and there they are, the person's healed. It doesn't work like that. All we can do is bring someone into the presence of Jesus, and we have absolutely nothing in our hands at that point. We are not the superheroes. We're much more like the servant. And then it's up to God. And then it's up to the Holy Spirit. And we put ourselves on the line every time we do it. We have a prayer team that meets over there. We love to pray for people. We've seen loads of breakthrough. But every time they do it, they put themselves on the line. They put themselves... Every time they pray a prayer of real faith without the ifs and buts and if it be thy will and all that kind of get out. Every time they do that, they put themselves on the line. So we're going to feel like lambs among wolves. That's normal. And Jesus said, when you get invited in everywhere, just give the normal greeting. That's shalom in their culture or peace. But because you are emissaries of Jesus, that greeting will carry a lot more than a simple hello. If the family are open to the peace of Jesus that you bring, 
then the atmosphere in the house will change. And Jesus said, stay there, eat and drink whatever they give you, whether you like it or not. Don't feel awkward about taking what they give you. And don't move around. Stay with people. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Eat what they cook. Have it when they eat. Let their culture and rhythms shape whatever's going to happen. Heal those who are ill and tell them the kingdom of God has come very close to you. Now that was a heart message. The kingdom of God is one of Jesus' rather enigmatic terms. It's a bit like the son of man. You know, what's, what's the kingdom of God? It carries a lot of heart. It's about God and his rule and his goodness and his love and his peace and his joy coming really close to you now. Jesus didn't give them a manifesto, a social one, a political one, a religious one. He didn't give them morals. He gave them a heart message. The kingdom of God's come near to you. Which is why the kingdom of God is such good news, because it carries hope, not judgment. It wasn't high on theological content. It was a taste and see message. Get in touch with your heart message. You know, can you tell your friends, your neighbours, your colleagues, your heart story? What's your heart story? I mean, they were going to a culture... Um, an Israelite culture where the people kind of self-identified as the people of God, so they could just say, the kingdom of God, and it meant something. Now, we, we're not going to use the same phrase, the kingdom of God has come near, is probably, I mean, I don't know where you live, but it's probably not going to be the thing that connects best. What's your heart message? What do you want to say about God and what he does, that is a heart message. Not for spiritual laws. No, not something that reads like a software license. What's your heart message about who God is? Have you got one? Do you need to practice it? Is, is it something that gives God the glory, not you the glory? What's your heart message? The message was backed up by prayer for healing because God's kingdom is powerful and it carries authority. And with it came the principle of staying with the people who welcome you. With us, it's going to be neighbours, friends, colleagues, more than village to village. But the principle of staying with people is the same. Not inviting them to church or alpha and then handing them over to the experts. You are the experts, or as near as we're going to get. There's nothing wrong with alpha. It's great. 
There's nothing wrong with church if they're ready for that. But you need to be with them. If it's Alpha, you need to be running it yourself for them. We have his promise of the kingdom. Jesus sent them out to every place where he himself was about to go. So to every place where he was coming, he sent them. We have the promise of his presence. And then there's one final bit. Um, John, I wanted you to read two verses more, but I didn't actually tell you that. So I'm going to read them now. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Don't let people go too easily. Um, And that's not quite so nice. We don't like to hear that. But how people respond to Jesus is really important. Like I said, this mission was to Israel, to people who identified themselves as God's people. But how they responded to Jesus was really, really important. And if they rejected Jesus, they needed to understand that that mattered. It's not, oh, well, you know, my truth, maybe not your truth. If if they rejected Jesus, it was really important. And the point of the warning was not to justify the disciples. You know, it was not, how dare you not listen to my message. The point of the warning is so that people know you think this stuff really, really matters. You think this stuff is absolutely critical. It's not just, you know, nice if you believe it. It's really critical. And if you give someone a warning, and it it is a warning, then who knows? Tomorrow, next week, next year, 30 years' time, when they're dying, maybe the Holy Spirit will remind them that this stuff was so important that you said something awkward because you cared enough about them to say it. It's not, it's not very cultural to do that. Sometimes it's much more important to tell the truth than to do the things that get us liked. And if anybody tastes the goodness of God, but then says, no, thank you, It really matters. It really matters that they've done that. And they need to know that you think it really matters. You don't have to be horrible about it. But a warning is a warning.
I think that what God is wanting to do with us is encourage us to take some risks with people that we know. And uh, this has been quite a, you know, a come close to God morning. It's been really, really great. But the gospel is balanced, isn't it, between come unto me when you're weary and carry heavy loads and I'll give you rest. And then the go and make disciples. And I think the Holy Spirit is encouraging us to take some risks. And it's, it's always two by two. You know, he always sends people up two by two. So as a body, we need to help each other. So this is how I'd like to finish. I don't want to take a lot of time over it because um, we're running out of time now. But anybody who feels any prompt from the Holy Spirit to take some risks, I would like you to stand up just where you are and the rest of us will pray for you. It doesn't matter if there's only one person I want us to do it. So if you want to take some risks, I want you to stand up and the rest of us will pray for you. That's amazing. Well done. Can the rest of you gather round and um, just pray over them? We'll just take a minute or two to do that. Let's pray that God will give them the opportunity, that they'll see the opportunity, and they'll take the opportunity. So three things. They'll get it, they'll see it, and they'll take it.